Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and, and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. Dance. Sermon title this morning is The Joy of the Lord. But first, Mother's Day, mamas, we love you. Moms, grandmas, we're, we're so thankful for you. We, we love our moms. There's something special about moms. My mom's not here this morning, but my wife is such an incredible mom. To my boys, Susan, my mother-in-law is here, and we just we love mamas, and it's a wonderful calling. It really is. It is not a secondary calling. It is a primary calling. Not all women get to be mothers, but most women do. All women have mothers. And so we, we just, we're a world full of mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers and little women. And so we're, th- we're so thankful for how God has built women and made them to be able to have babies. And God built women to worship, work, help, submit, fear nothing, and love. And women are built to build the kingdom of God, to nurture, to make children. And uh, Christian moms, I think, need to be encouraged on days like this to keep in mind that justification for the mom is in Christ and Christ alone, not in your mothering skills, how good or lacking they may be, your standing before God is based on the work of Christ and the work of Christ alone, not on how you're doing as a mother. So Christ is your justification. You need to hear that this morning. You need to hear that every single week, that Christ is enough, and that is your foundation. Now, with that foundation in mind, I want to give you a challenge, mothers, and go against all insta-mom culture and all other women culture in our world today. Uh, here's the challenge for this year. The challenge for this year is to get, to get better, to grow, to not stay the same that you are today. Um, grow this year. Don't just survive. Fight to have more joy this year than you've had last year. Even if you're a very joyful woman, don't settle for silly mantras about being enough right now. When you settle for being enough right now, and you're enough, and you're the center of the universe, that kind of stuff, you stunt your growth into being the same woman year after year after year after year. And nobody should want to be the same person year after year after year. So grow this year. Grow in Christ. Grow in your love for what God has called you to. Uh, Continue to find joy in denying yourself. There's this really twisted thing in women culture, mom culture, feminism culture that says... The path to joy is putting yourself first and everybody else second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. So it's demanding sacrifice from everyone else for your joy. But the Christian way is always my life for yours, not your life for mine. Deny yourself this year, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Be a better woman, be a better mom, don't settle, keep growing. And uh, there's joy there. You're secure in Christ, so it's okay to admit there's areas of growth and then fight to be better. We'll say the same thing to the men when it's Father's Day, that it's time to evaluate where you need to grow and then just grow. You're, you're justified in Christ, therefore grow and make this year better than last year. Don't settle for being the woman you are right now. Press on toward the goal. You're secure in Christ. Reject condemnation. Embrace conviction. Conviction is good. Condemnation is never good. And then you have a foundation and a platform to move forward. Right, ladies? You want to be the same for the rest of your life or you want to grow? You want to grow. That's good. So don't stay the same. Grow.
All right. Joy and lament. Joy and lament. The Christian life, last year I said this, and I, I think it bears repeating, but the, the Christian life really is intended to be a life of joy with seasons of lament. It's not intended to be a life of lament and sorrow with seasons of joy. Everyone wants to be happy. Really, everyone wants to be happy. You've probably heard this quote before, probably from John Piper, but Blaise Pascal says this, and I think it's really important for us to get this. All men seek happiness. It's without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. Okay, so follow with him at this point. Everyone wants to be happy, and because they want to be happy, they try to do different things to accomplish that happiness. For you, it may be one thing. For somebody else, it's going to be another thing. But everyone is united in this desire, I want to be happy. I don't want to be sorrowful every single day. I want joy, satisfaction, and purpose. They all tend to this end, happiness. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it, it is the same desire in both. But it's attended with different views. The will never takes the least step to this object. So whatever the object is, doesn't matter. I'm, I'm going to do what it takes or avoid whatever I need to avoid to attain happiness. This is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. The desire is, I'm going to get happiness no matter what the cost. I've got to escape sorrow, pain, sadness. I've got to get to happiness. Everybody approaches life wanting to be that. Nobody wants to be sad. Anybody want to be a sad sack Eeyore the rest of your life? Just want to moan, cry all day, every day? Nobody wants that. Even people who experience deep seasons of valleys and depression and sadness, sometimes that go on for months, nobody wants to stay there. We all want to be happy. And one of the truths of Christianity that's so wonderful is that happiness really is a possibility in this life. In this life. And I use, if you don't know this about me, I use happiness and joy interchangeably. They're the same in the scriptures, so I think it's important to know. I'm not talking about just temporary euphoria. I'm talking about actual happiness in life, not based on circumstances. And I'm not talking about just like, a, oh, I'm happy because I'm riding a roller coaster. I'm talking about, are you a happy person? And happiness, according to Christianity, according to the scriptures... It's possible. So Christianity is a life of joy with seasons of lament. It's not a life of lament with seasons of joy. And in the Old Testament, it's going to be interesting today. We're going to see this. The Old Testament, God gave his people seasons and feasts to remind them of his work and to help them to actually have joy. There's festivals of sorrow, but then there's festivals of joy. And here's how this festival, the Festival of Booths or tab Tabernacles, works. Party all week and enjoy the fact that God has delivered you out of the wilderness. Joy, eat, feast, drink good food. Or eat, drink good food. Eat good food, drink good wine, enjoy your life because what God has done for you. Sorrow to joy. Blessed are those who weep, for they, for they will be comforted. In the Old Testament, we see that the joy of the Lord is their strength and it's going to be ours as well. We see this right in Nehemiah chapter 8. There is a true and right time to lament. And Nehemiah is going to tell us when the wrong time to lament is. From weeping to joy. Look at verse 9 in Nehemiah chapter 8. And Nehemiah 
who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. From weeping to joy. Okay, there is a sense in which the law of God should, should break us. We see aspects of spiritual revival, true revival happening in Nehemiah's day where people were cut to the heart. You hear the law of God and you begin to weep because you know you have sinned against a holy God. That's a good, noble, and admirable thing in its right and appropriate time and place. When they heard the words of the law, they were weeping, but then they were told, do not do that. The law cuts, it tells us about our sin, but... Why then would Nehemiah, Ezra, and the Levites, those reading the law, why would they tell them to not weep? Why, why would they say, don't weep when you hear the law of God? And so Warren Wiersbe is helpful with this. Um, they do the festivals, as they discover here in a little bit, in a few verses we're going to see that as they were reading the law of God, as Ezra was reading, they rediscovered the festivals and the feasts that were given in Deuteronomy, that were given in, in Leviticus chapter 23 and Deuteronomy chapter 16 about the festival of, of booths. It was in the seventh month. Jordan always makes fun of how I say booths. I got to say booths, booths or booths, um, booths, okay? Um, not booze, you know, not like a booze cruise or anything like that. Booths, booths. Um, so this feast is supposed to follow the Day of Atonement. The Day of, the, of Atonement would be first in the, in the seventh month in the Jewish calendar, and then the Festival of Tabernacles would follow that. It would be a festival of joy. So first, sorrow over sin, the Day of Atonement, blood is spilled, sins are forgiven, and then, following that, you would have joy. But as the people of God just finished building this wall, as they're hearing the law of God spoken, we're reminded of deliverance. They're reminded that the promises of God is true. So Warren Wiersbe, speaking of this passage, is really helpful. He says this. As Ezra read and explained the word, the assembly's first response was one of conviction and grief. They mourned over their sins. For by the law is knowledge of sin, Romans 3.20. The law cannot save us. I hope we all know that, right? The law cannot save it shows us that we need to be saved, but it does not provide the solution. It can only convince us that we need to be saved and then point us to Jesus the Savior. But the Jews had just observed the annual Day of Atonement. Now this is debatable of whether they did this or not. I don't think they did. I think he's wrong in this, but the point is going to be helpful here in a second. The Lord had dealt with their sins, Leviticus 16, so they should have been rejoicing in His forgiveness. And the Jewish calendar, the Feast of Tabernacles, follows the Day of Atonement, giving God's people an entire week of happy celebration. The sequence is important. First conviction, then cleansing, then celebration. The Word of God brings conviction, it leads to repentance, but then it brings us joy. For the same word that wounds also heals. Your words were found, and I ate them. Your word was to me the joy of rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by your name. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever, for they are rejoicing in my heart. Now, whether or not they did the 
Day of Atonement or not, because we don't get that. We know that the temple was rebuilt, so maybe they did, but we do know that this was out of order because the festival was supposed to be, the Festival of Booths was supposed to be in the 15th of the month, and they have done it now on the 2nd of the month. We'll see this here in a second. But here's what we know. They were delivered from captivity. And whether or not they were, they had already done the, because the text doesn't say anything at all about the Day of Atonement, but we do know they had been delivered and then through the power of God, the wall had been rebuilt in 52 days. So the wall had been rebuilt and the gates were rebuilt. And it was, as they heard the words of God, a time of rejoicing because God had delivered them and then God gave them the power to rebuild the city. And so they should have had joy. They should have recognized, even though there's no mention of the Day of Atonement, that this is a time of deliverance and joy. Look at all that God did. We're hearing the words of our father read by Ezra the scribe. We're not in captivity in Persia anymore in the city of Babylon. We're back where God promised he would bring us. And you see, weeping and mourning can be a very good thing in its proper place. We're going to see that next week, brokenheartedness about sin. But on the backside of delivery, upon seeing the promises of God come through over decades, over seeing the power of God to even influence the Persian kings to give favor to Israel and to send them back and then give them provision to build the city, upon hearing the words of your heavenly Father and the glory of the law of God, do not weep or mourn. Have joy. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And that's why he tells them, do not weep or mourn. Look again. This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not weep. Do not mourn. For all the people wept as they heard the law of God. Verse 10. Then he said to them, go your way. Eat the fat. Drink the sweet wine. And send the portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I love this. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Go your way. Instead of weeping, instead of mourning, people of God, that sounds holy, it sounds right, but if you're weeping and mourning in the wrong time, you're actually robbing yourself of the joy that's there for you. And be shaken out of the stupor. Instead, recognize all the provision that's right in front of you. And go eat the fat and drink the wine. Celebrate for God has delivered you. It's crucial. The joy of the Lord was the strength of Israel. It's a powerful statement. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It took me a while to think through this and process through this. But I think it's a crucial point. Only Christians have the content for true joy in this world, for real happiness. Only Christians. It doesn't mean that God, through His common grace, doesn't, doesn't give people who don't know the Lord some measure of fulfillment or joy or happiness in this world, but true joy is an important de like defining characteristic when we're talking about happiness and joy. We're talking about the joy of the Lord, and only Christians have the content for true joy. For us to be here and enjoy the presence of God and walk out those doors, a truly happy people, you have to have the content that Christianity provides. Only Christians have that. Now, what we're looking at is a pattern of feasts and promises about the clearer reality to come. This 
Day is holy to the Lord. Sorrow over sin, the state of the city can be a very good thing. But we should be, they should have been joyful that God did something about it. Now, here's the thing. When we understand and realize what Christ has done for us, that he has delivered us out of not just the power of a city or a nation or a regime like Persia, but God has delivered us from the dominion of darkness into the dominion of light, that we are children of the Most High God, when we understand that God has done something about our own captivity to sin, it should bring something to us. It should bring joy. It's no time for sorrow when we're thinking about being a child of God. When we realize what Christ has done for us, in the moments that that's clear, that it's a reality to us, it should bring great joy. I'm a child of God. I'm forgiven. God didn't have to do this for me, but he's unbelievably kind, and he gave me this gift, and he delivered me for what my life could have been. He saved me from a mess, a wreck. I was running and destroying my life through moralism or through debauchery, and God came through and rescued me out of that. When we understand the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and what it means, it's not a time for sorrow, it's not a time for weeping, unless they're tears of joy. God, thank you for what you've done for me. Joy, celebration, it is finished, he has done it. Let your weary heart rejoice. It is finished, he has done it. Let your weary... We sing songs like that because it's intended to communicate that the people of God, when you know what God has done for you, when you know the deliverance that he has brought you out of, it's to be joy. Like that we should have real joy. Sorrow has its place. Grief has its time. But we know we've been delivered from our sins. Joy becomes the default of our life. The default. Sorrow over sin dies at the cross of Christ. Sorrow over sin dies at the cross of Christ. So if you feel condemned this morning, if you feel convicted of sin recognize what Christ has done, come to him, and that sorrow and that grief dies at the foot of Jesus. You recognize what Christ has done for you. The proper response to deliverance from captivity and hearing the law of God preached to them was joy. The people respond. Look at verse 11. They get this command from Ezra and Nehemiah and the boys. Verse 11, we hear what they did. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, Be quiet. For this day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and spend portions to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were to declared to them. Now this is really interesting because we just saw in the previous verse that this joy was for everybody. He, he commanded them, even those who don't have anything prepared, they don't have the food, they don't have the fat, they don't have the drink, give it to them anyways. Because this joy belongs to all of us. We've all been delivered if you have little, if you have much, this day, you get to celebrate from the rich to the poor all together what God has done for us. There was a common deliverance that they shared no matter where they were on the social scale. And every Christian, every single Christian is in that same boat. No matter where we are socially, no matter where we are around the globe, we all share in this same deliverance that Christ has done for us. And joy belongs to each one of us. It's proper that it comes to each one of us. And we should, 
We should, week in and week out, remind everybody, everybody gets in on this. Everybody's in on this party. Yeah, you came here, you feel beat up, things are really tough out there, you're experiencing, I mean, weariness of bone, sickness, you're experiencing maybe even death in this world, grief, okay? Be reminded, God is for you. He has delivered you. Things are tough, I realize that, but God, your Father, is still on His throne and if he did not withhold his very own son for you, will he not graciously give you all things? Will he not give you all that you need for this week of grief? Right now, you can walk out of these doors being reminded that God, the God of the universe, is for you. So take heart and have joy. Fight for it. Do not settle. Do not settle for a life of sorrow and darkness. Don't settle for that. Fight it. Fight it. Don't embrace it. Fight it. You go through seasons, uh, different stages of life, the human body for both the male and the female. As you get older, some things begin to happen in your body. You guys realize that, right? Some, some people that are a little bit older realize that's the case. As you get older, for men, testosterone drops. Ladies have this thing that happens, you know, in your 40s to 50s, this thing called menopause. can throw you for a loop, I've heard. You know, Jordan and I already are praying about it. You know, like, just remember, when that happens, you know, in your 40s, just remember that you, you, you love me. <laughs> you, you're, you go through different stages, and there's going to be seasons in your life where, I mean, you're, you're really happy, and you're skipping, and life is good, and you're joining your family, and family worship's going great, and you're, you're going fish. I'm kind of very much in a season like this where it's just very, very fun. Work is great. Things at the church are going great. We're busting it. Not today. I don't know where, where everybody's at today, but we, we have been busting at the seams, and you're seeing new faces in the work of God, and then there's this five-year period and you wonder, what happened in that five years? Man, that was a tough five years. You look back in your life and you think, man, that was tough. Don't settle for those difficult seasons as being normal. Fight for joy. Remember what Christ has done for you. As your body changes, keep coming to the cross. Keep looking to Christ. Keep asking the Holy Spirit to remind you the promises that are in God's word for you. Christ is for you. He really is. In the path, so often, so often, some of the difficulties and the sorrow we experience, it's self-imposed because we buy into the way of the world. And I promise you, if you buy into the way of the world, which is me before you, and it's not self-denial, if, you, if you're not willing to deny yourself, like holiness and joy, we'll see here and together, here in a minute, go together. If you're, if you're going to walk the way of the world, you're going to have a life of sorrow. And you're going to ask everybody else to sacrifice for you, and you're going to put yourself in the center of the universe, and you're going to be miserable. Deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow Jesus. So the people respond. The people respond. Verse 11, the response again. Verse 11, or verse 12, And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions, and to make great rejoicing, great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Now, I, I love this. Um... They were declaring the law of God, and they understood the law of God, and they obeyed the command to go and eat and drink and send portions to the poor and to make great rejoicing. Okay, we're going to go, and we're going to have a feast, and we're going to have a festival, and we're going to rejoice in what God has done. And I want you to see this. 
holiness or obedience to God, obeying the law of God, going to rejoice as the people of God, holiness and joy go together. The day is holy, so don't be grieved. Go eat the fat and drink the wine. Holiness is the road to happiness. Holiness is the road to happiness. They ate, they drank, and rejoiced because they understood the law of God. They understood what God was commanding them to do. Uh, holiness and happiness, they're intertwined. If you seek happiness through selfishness, you're not going to get it. But the more you lay your life down, the more you sacrifice yourself, the more you obey the Lord and honor Him and salivate to hear His law as they did in this day. Ezra, give me more. Give me more. Nehemiah, yes, we will do what God has called us to do. Joy and holiness, happiness and holiness go together. And we see that it develops into this festival, the Feast of Booths. Look at verse 13. On the second day, this is of the seventh month, and this is out of order. So even though they're partially obeying, this text gives us insight. Even when the people of God are doing the right things, they're still, still violating the proper order in which the feast and the festival should go. There still needed to be a law keeper here because they're still falling short. But on the second day, the heads of fathers' houses... And all the people, of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should all proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem, go out to the hills and bring branches of olive and wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written." Now, they go to Bible study with Ezra. Bible study time, small group time, let's all go. Ezra's coming down. They, they've rediscovered the book, and they're reading it. They're studying the law of God. They're all excited about it. The work's done. Now, remember, the shaping of the city preceded the shaping of the people. And so they got the words, the walls built. Now the people are being built. So you have to have the word of God. And they're coming, they're sitting down, and they're listening to the word of God. And Ezra's teaching them. And they bump into either Leviticus chapter 23 or Deuteronomy chapter 16. They're studying and they're hearing about the feasts that have been given to the people of God. And these feasts were very intentional. And this feast was in the seventh month. It was following the Day of Atonement. It went for a week long and it was a celebratory feast. And it was celebrating the fact that God had brought them out of the wilderness, Israel, out of the wilderness into the promised land. When they were in the wilderness, they had to live in these little temporary homes. And so the festival or feast of booths is a week long where they would build these little huts, these little things out of branches and leaves, and they would stay in them. It's not like going camping out or something. You're not staying in your home. And we're going to intentionally remove ourselves from the places which we normally dwell. And we're going to align ourselves with this festival. And we're going to live in this little shanty, this little thing that we've built. And it's going to remind us this is where we once were. A place with no home. And we're going to eat all week and we're going to drink and we're going to eat the fat and enjoy this week. We're going to celebrate. And in fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 16, joy is commanded for this week. You will have joy this week. <laughs> There's not an option here. My people, this feast, I'm glad nobody's on the front row because I just did that gleek thing. And it just went, whoo, where Brandon and Chasey usually would be. 
or JC would usually be. JC, I get JC and JC, sorry JC. Uh, Brandon and Chasey normally are. Um, you will have joy this week. So here's a feast. It's a feast of joy. Everybody, non-optional, go out and have joy. And remember that God had brought you out. Remember now, after the Day of Atonement, your sins are forgiven. And now, this is the first time in a long time that everybody would be in on this. And they let everybody know. And it's interesting... Even with their zeal to obey the Lord, it's interesting that they did this feast earlier than the law commanded it. So they were hearing the law being given and hearing about the feast. This was supposed to start on the 15th day of the month. And they start this instead of the 15th day of the month, the second day of the month. And there is no mention of the Day of Atonement. And even with their zeal and desire to obey, even with the joy and the commitment they had to going out that week and having joy... Uh, they didn't follow the law. They still broke the law. And so even as they're trying to obey, even as God is working in them, they still manage to fail feasting and having joy correctly. We find out, though, this spreads, and it goes to towns and villages all around Jerusalem. It's not just in Jerusalem. They posted this and published it. And let everyone know we're going to be doing this festival and the word spreads and everybody gets in on it. Look at verse 16. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his own roof. And their courts and the courts of the house of God and the square at the water gate and all the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and lived in the booths from the days of Joshua, or Jeshua, the son of Nun, to the day, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so, and there was very great rejoicing. So they went out and they did what they were supposed to do, and they even got the rejoicing right. Dwelling in booths, eating and drinking, it was like joy was unleashed in the city. Now, this was not a party of debauchery, but it was a party of party of joy. You, you know when you're, with, when you're with really good friends, like your best friends, when you're with people, you share a really good meal. I still remember like the best steak I've ever had. Jordan and I went to Bella's one year up in West Frankfurt. It's not there anymore. Did anybody ever go to Bella's in Frankfurt? Anyone? Remember the steaks? And those steaks were the bomb. They were just awesome. Had a steak there, just, oh, I'll never forget it. It's a great meal. When you're hanging out with friends, maybe around a campfire or whatever it may be, and if you had a whole week devoted to, here's what we're going to do for the next week. We're going to live in these little tents we're going to eat all, just tons of good food all week long. We're going to enjoy good drinks. And we're going to hang out with each other and just celebrate the fact that God has brought us out of the wilderness. And he now has continued to deliver us. We're back in the city of Jerusalem. We're going to do this for a whole week and just enjoy each other, enjoy the presence of God. The joy of the Lord is going to be our strength this week. Nobody's going to be working this week. Everybody take off. We're all going to have joy. How much fun would that be? Wouldn't that be good times? It would. The stories you, you remember... The Feast of Booze last year, I mean, he got his, like, his whole wardrobe, he got caught on fire. I mean, remember, it was like the, what is it that men wore? Not the tunic. He got his tunic burned off, remember? You know, Roger over there, he burned his whole tunic and his foot got burned. And you'd have stories about, oh my gosh, that meal last year. Who, who made that? We got to make that again this year. Sometimes we get disconnected to the personhood of these people. They really were people. And they really did experience this at the command of God to enjoy each other, enjoy the Lord, 
eat good food, drink good wine. Don't be a depot. Don't, it's, it wasn't a college party. This wasn't a frat house. This is a city full of people enjoying each other and enjoying the Lord. And they all ate, and they all drank, and they all enjoyed each other. Um, joy really, it is contagious. Sorrow's contagious. Uh, I think you can see that. Just like negativity and just like sorrow can be transferred from one person to another, you're in a room full of sad people, you quickly realize there's a solemn feeling about this room. What's going on? If you're a room full of happy people enjoying one another, you realize, hey, this is great. You know, people are happy. There's real joy here. Obviously, in different seasons, you go into a... A funeral, and, and sometimes a funeral is quite joyful because somebody lived a great life and, and you have a great time. Other times you walk into a funeral and it's, it's, it's deep, deep sorrow. I remember walking out of The Passion of the Christ. Remember walking out of the movie The Passion of the Christ? You walk out and you're just completely traumatized. You know, everybody's just like, oh my gosh, what did we just watch? And I remember there was this one guy and like a couple buddies, like college dudes, that were acting, just acting a fool. And they walked out of there just goofing off, and we were all like, you guys are like Hitler, man. I mean, you guys are awful. You could walk out of that thing just kind of skipping and happy. It was just, there's a time and place, you know? So joy in this city unleashed, and it went out of the city, into the neighborhood towns, into the towns around Jerusalem, and it was the, every, every, we're happy. We want to celebrate. God has delivered. Churches, um, let me just say this, what I'm referencing 10 minutes ago. Fight off sorrow and fight for joy in your home. Happiness can be caught as well. It really can. Happiness can be caught as well. Um, create cultures around you and recognize how your countenance affects others. And fight to create cultures of rejoicing around you. Know the time and place. Know when it's appropriate and inappropriate to enjoy what's going on, but fight off being that sad sack. Churches are made up of households, and that should be households of joy. Households of joy create communities of joy, churches of joy, eventually cities of joy. We know how to weep with those who weep, but we know how to rejoice with those who rejoice. And we know the one who saved us. And so what, of course, life's hard. You know the God of the universe. The God of the universe is your heavenly Father, and he holds you in your hand. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord of your soul, the King of all kings, and the Lord of all lords, and he holds you in your hand as well. Amen. And the Holy Spirit of God is the God of the universe, and he indwells in the people of God. He doesn't just hover here or hang out throughout the week. He, he dwells within you, and he goes with you wherever you go. You are a person that's supernatural. You're never one moment in any moment of your day for the rest of your life just a natural human being. You have the Spirit of God within you. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. Fight for that. Remind yourselves of these great truths. These people celebrated. There was great rejoicing. Very great rejoicing. The last four words of verse 18. And there was very great Rejoicing, that's three words. Very great rejoicing. And I hope you have times like that in your life. Great rejoicing. God is good. And it set them up to hear the law of God again. I don't know about you, but I, I think it's pretty profound that great rejoicing 
and desire to hear the law of God can go together. They're rejoicing, and then in their rejoicing, in the feast, they want more of the law of God. The law of God. They've experienced the deliverance and the promises of God, and they're salivating for the law of God. Salivating. Look at verse 18. And day by day, from the first day to the last, he read from the book of the law of God. That would have been Genesis, the Torah, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they kept the feast for seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly. Now, on that eighth day, after a season of rejoicing, there is this solemn assembly. Really cool connection, by the way, with the last day of this feast in John chapter 7. You can, you can see that. It's pretty, pretty great. Um, According to the rule, verse 18. Joy and the law of God can go together. And here, here's the, here is the, uh, the mischaracterization of the law of God. For the Christian, the law isn't only to kill us. For the non-Christian, guys, this is so crucial for us to get. You've heard me talk a lot about this over the last couple years. If you're a non-Christian in this room, if you've not been born again... When you hear the commands of God, what should properly happen is you should see that you have sinned against a holy God. You know it in the conscience, you know it, the Holy Spirit begins to work, and you know I have sinned against God, I deserve nothing from Him. And there's times, through consciences being seared, that a non-believer can be in a room or even come and visit a church, come be at a church for years and years and years, and not feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But then, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit works in things that they have heard year in and year out. The Holy Spirit begins to come and work, and it cuts to the heart, and it changes everything. And they know in that moment, I am a sinner, and I have rebelled against a holy God, and I feel this small. And then the gospel comes. And the wound was opened up by the law of God and the gospel comes up comes in and you hear Christ died for sinners and you hear that good news I know I deserve death I deserve the wrath of God and yet Jesus came to die for me I don't deserve it you get the point now you don't deserve it none of us do none of us are worthy of that you hear me none of us are worthy of that and yet Jesus is worthy of our praises because he came to do that for sinners. They heard the law, they wanted the law, and even though they did not keep the law, Jesus would come keep the law. I got a question for us. They salivated for the law. They had these pictures of deliverance, but they don't have what we have. We see not just the shadows, not just the promises, not just these pictures of deliverance. We know what Christ has done. We know what all those smaller deliverances were about. We see in full color what Christ has done for us. The Holy Spirit has shown a light into our eyes, has opened our spiritual eyes, opened our heart, and, and helped us to see what Christ has done. We haven't just been delivered out of captivity from Babylon. We haven't simply seen the city walls rebuilt. We have seen 
our sins, it's like the scales have dropped from our eyes. We have, we have seen Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection, that what he has done for me has done for others, and he is building his people up, not just a physical building, but the kingdom of God all around this globe. We see with clarity, we see with precision, we see what God has done, and these are all types and shadows. And if they wanted to hear the law of God, shouldn't we that much more? I want you to hear this from Psalm 119. Intentionally, I'm going to read 32 verses. And I want you to hear every single one of them. We're almost done. Hang with me. Proverbs, or Psalms 19, 119. And I want you to hear how David, who did not see what we have seen, spoke about the law of God. I want you to hear this. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, whose wa who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek them with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts. I will fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away, take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight, for they are my counselors. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run the way of your commandments when you enlarge in my heart. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the paths of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to shame selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. 
Confirm your servant, your promises, that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. David loved the law of God, but hear me say this. Even though he penned these words, glorious things through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this man crying out, was not the culmination of these words. David, the man who wrote this, loved the law of God, but he committed adultery and murder. The same man who wrote these words, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, committed adultery and murder. Jesus is the personification of all of this, because Jesus didn't simply love the law of God. He fulfilled it. He kept it, delighted, savored the law of God, And he did this on our behalf. He kept the law of God on our behalf. Jesus would die for adulterers and murderers. He would die for adulterers and murderers. In the law of God, adulterers and murderers deserve death. Jesus dies the death of the adulterer and the murderer. And then Jesus sent us the Holy Spirit into our very hearts. We have been born again as believers in Christ. We are the people of God who have been born again. We know what Christ has done. He has fulfilled the law on our behalf. Then how much more, knowing that we won't be condemned by the law, should we love it? Should we love the law of God? The law of God is good. It can't save us. But we should never, ever, ever speak in a disparaging manner about the law of God. To be like Christ as a believer is to love obeying our Heavenly Father. Why? We want to be like Christ. What did Christ do? Christ Loved his heavenly father. He obeyed the commandments and the statutes. He salivated over the law of God. To want to be like Christ is to say, God, tell me how to live. Teach me your word, your ways. You've given me these guardrails, and I don't want to walk to this way or that. I want to honor you in how I live my life. In Nehemiah's day, they longed to hear from Yahweh. We have Yahweh, not just as our God, but we have Him as our Father through Jesus Christ. The special privilege that Jesus introduces in a unique way. When you pray, pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, non-Christian religion... Approaching the God of the universe says, oh my goodness, look at the time. It doesn't say that, but <laughs> when they sin, here's what they say. Oh my, I've sinned. I hope God doesn't find out. I got this from somebody else. I wish it was unique to me, but it's not. The Christian says, I have sinned against God. I, I have sinned. I have broken God's law. I have to talk to my father. Because you know Christ has lived and died in your place. We get to come to our Heavenly Father. Men and women, let us salivate, long for, as they did, as they heard Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites teach. 
May we salivate for the words of God our Father, the direction of God our Father, and the commandments of God our Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that the law drives us to the gospel and the gospel drives us back to the law. And we get to love you and honor you and obey you and you've told us your commandments. We want to obey all that you've commanded us. We want to learn to do that more and more. We want to grow more and more as men and women. Help us to do that. Holy Spirit, lead us as we sing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's.